We are proud members of the Spy Podcast Network. Find out more at www.spypodcasts.com. Welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, the net is vast and infinite. And frankly, mind-boggling. So this film this week is kind of out of our depth a little bit. And so I thought... What we needed to do was bring an actual expert in, because frankly, we're idiots. That's true. I mean, we were out of our depth with Spy Kids 4, so... Yeah, we, we, we knew we hit a wall at that point. <laughs> um, so, our guest this week, it's Danny from the Anime Summit podcast. Hello, Danny. Hello, hello. How's it going, guys? Thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining us. Now, uh, we haven't spoiled the film, although if people have read the title of this episode, they probably know what it is. Right. But yeah. <laughs> um, before we maybe get to the film itself, let's get to know you a little bit. So we're talking about an anime film this week, and you do an anime podcast. I do. So you must <laughs> sort of like anime, I assume? No, I hate anime. Like, right. I can't stand it at all. I don't know why I'm on an anime podcast for it or anything. Mm. This <laughs> no, makes sense. I'm ki totally kidding. I, I absolutely, I am a complete freaking otaku weeb. Like, you can even see, I mean, you can't see my, my desk, but I have full on, like, figures everywhere, everything, anything. <laughs> I'm going to write down otaku and weeb and try and figure those out as we do the episode because they are new words to me. <laughs> otaku is just like, it's a Japanese word for um, just like nerds, mm -hmm. really. And, okay. and people who are into like comic books and everything like that. So it's, it's more so a Japanese term for uh, nerd comics kind of thing. So I guess we're so. spy otakus then. Yes. Yes, you are. Nice. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, taking us back a little bit, um, what sort of brought you to anime originally? What were sort of your first entries and how did you begin to enjoy it? Oh, gosh. Do you do we have like three hours? Because like that's... <laughs> it's, it's our show. We have as long as we'd like. <laughs> um, well... <laughs> As some would inside joke would say, well, I was born in 1990. So, um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I was probably like 12 years old. So, and around that time, you know, Cartoon Network in the US was really big on trying to incorporate the anime world and everything like Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, um, even Pokemon and like Yu-Gi-Oh and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what got me into it. And literally over just over time, it kind of just 
got really out of control. <laughs> My mom thought it was a phase and it's all like, oh, she's not going to like this anymore. It's fine. But 32 years old and I'm still head over heels for anime. Um, I I kind of go on like binges where um, I'll just watch like 12 shows within like two weeks and they have the expand of like 12 episodes to 24 episodes depending on what it is so um yeah it's I, I I can get pretty hardcore when it comes to watching things and it involves anime <laughs> so it's basically your sort of go-to form of entertainment then yeah 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 pretty much it's it's kind of like uh you know if I sit down or anything like that at the couch or anything and I decide, you know, okay, okay, what am I going to watch today? And, you know, I'll, I'll dab into like real people shows, quote unquote. Um, but <laughs> definitely anime is, is my number one kind of like go to. Uh, this is what I mainly watch all the time. So and being on an anime summit podcast, I kind of have to do that anyway. <laughs> It helps. <laughs> what, have some, what are some of your favorites? Like the ones you really hold up as these Ooh. are must-sees. Oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, well, Sailor Moon is actually, uh, of course, the number one that I would say everyone at least should watch. Um, my all-time favorite would also be Fruits Basket, um, but the re-adaptation of it. And uh, Cowboy Bebop is also another staple of the anime community. And, of course, watch the dub for that, for sure, because it's, like, w one of the best dubs ever. So, Well, I, it's interesting because, like, looking at your journey, it's similar to mine when it comes to anime. It just at some point I stopped watching it uh, i think yeah it... you get you have like i've had my break like i definitely had a uh, a point in in time in my life where i wasn't watching anime mm. and everything and i want to say i started really getting into it when i was about uh 22 23 around there uh, around my early 20s and stuff and that's kind of when like podcasts started to become a really big thing and everything so um, and that's kind of where I led to Anime Summit. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I was actually a listener before I became a host of Anime Summit. So um, yeah, don't yeah. go and go get any ideas, people. We're, <laughs> we're, we're not hiring. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was myself the same, Dragon Ball Z, uh, or Pokemon, I suppose, Cowboy Bebop, Sailor Moon, that was, mm -hmm. Cartoon Network was a big thing over here too, Toonami when it came on in the evening. Oh yeah, yeah, Toonami, Adult Swim, yeah. like those were like the, uh, I guess, platforms as you would call them for t for television to show anime and everything and and cam now when you first started watching television it was well it was a radio it wasn't even television so i mean that's right we'd gather around the old squawk box and listen to old episodes of the shadow um mm -hmm. that sort of thing yeah, yeah. no um <laughs> um with me I, I feel like i was probably just a few years removed from anime i think if i'd been because 
for me, when things like Pokemon and Sailor Moon really began to cross over, I was probably like just into my high school years. And it was just like, I just wasn't that interested in it. And I was into, I think more at that point, like, you know, R-rated action movies and things like that. I Mm -hmm. think though, if I'd been more like 11, 12, 10, somewhere in that kind of area, I would have been into it because I remember... Um, you know, some of my friends, younger siblings got really into those shows. And now I go and, you know, visit my friend and his kids. His kids are like, you know, four and two, and they're really into Pokemon and Bakugan and Mm. all of these sorts of things. Well, everyone, I mean, Pokemon is, of course, like a family friendly thing. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that will always be like the go-to every, every kid will start with Pokemon, um, when they start getting into anime and stuff. But I will tell you, Cam, there are there is anime that is for strictly adults. Oh, I know. So. We're going to talk about it this week. But I, <laughs> I think also because of my age, the exposure wasn't there as much. Like I grew up well, watching Siskel and Ebert. And that's how I began okay. to actually get some of these titles being referenced. Like they didn't play in theaters in my little world near me. And it was kind yeah. of like I'd go to the video store and they weren't on the shelves. Well, so, you didn't yeah. get the yeah. sort of Toonami Cartoon Network wave. You were mm. part of the action cinema of the 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger wave, where that, that yeah. was sort of your folk hero. They were the people you were looking up to. Yeah. Not only that, but like in the 80s, anime wasn't really distributed internationally mm-hmm. all that mm-hmm. much. Like it wasn't until the 90s where they started bringing over Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. But now with technology, we have easy access to all this anime that we have now. So, <laughs> yeah, and like it just internet culture alone didn't really kick in till I was around grade ten or eleven. Right. So yeah. that was also yeah. an element of it as well. Like I was, mm-hmm. uh, so I was like a major Star Wars kid around that period into my I mean, teenage years as well. Yeah. But it was yeah. like very easy to talk to anyone about Star Wars. Like anyone around you had watched those movies versus anime was something that had I been on the internet at the time, you would have found those people to talk to. But in my little world, that just wasn't the case. It was right. It was definitely more like a, for me, it was like a playground thing. You, you, you'd you go to school the next day and be like, hey, did you see what happened to Cell on Dragon Ball Z? Yeah. Like, <laughs> whoa, we turned into something else. And then you don't just talk about it. It was it was like the water cooler stuff for the playground, I suppose. Right. Um but that's that's the nineteen nineties and early noughties for me at least anyway. But I think before we pivot into the film, we do need to check your spy credentials, Danny. Oh. <laughs> I hope I hope I can I can pass. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a spy movie podcast, so we need to ask you the question. What are some of your favorite spy movies? Okay. So this was actually, I mean, I th- at first I thought this was going to be difficult because when you asked me this before recording, it's like, oh shit, like, I don't think I've ever watched any spy movies <laughs> that I could remember. I'm like, fuck, like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I did manage to find three. Okay. So, um, but I, I watched and I actually really enjoyed uh, Kingsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that one I really liked. Uh, the Tenant, which is uh, a newer one that came out in 2020. So that one's a Christopher Nolan film, which yep. I had to watch a couple of times in order to like really understand it. 
I think I think we're all we've all just finished watching it or we're about to start watching it because of how the time inversion works. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're yeah, all somewhere on the scale of Tenet. Yes, yes. Scott and um, I um, revisited Tenet for an episode, and it was I think our second time watching it. I think second, or, maybe your third, or first, or who first. Knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember a lot of that episode was us working through trying to understand Tenet over the course of the episode. Yeah, yeah. When I first watched, I was like. What the fuck am I watching? Like I don't I don't understand. <laughs> but then after a while I was just like, "Oh wow, like this really goes like now that you start like putting the pieces of the puzzle together and like are actually starting to understand it closer to the end of the film." Mm-hmm. So, um and then I will say I have to this is like a guilty pleasure and I pr- I'm probably going to get laughed at for this, but um Austin Powers. No, hey, you're not no gonna shame. Laugh at. No shame. No, I love it. Austin Powers is great. So, great. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. Except for the third one, I'm not really a fan of Goldmember. I'm with you. So yeah, it's it's kind of the weakest of the bunch. I think um, we haven't touched them on the show yet, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's because Beyonce was is not a good actor at all, and she just can't act for the life of her. So yeah. But yeah, but you'll always so. have the uh, the gold member jokes. They're, they're absolutely pretty classic. yeah, 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 and him eating his skin, his dead skin, oh, and everything like I've that. I've forgotten about that. <laughs> oh. Austin Powers is one of those things, though. It's like people sometimes feel guilty mention them as favorites, but they were so important to how the genre evolved over that decade mm-hmm. uh, onwards. Like they were changing the genre because they didn't want to fall into those Austin Powers traps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. I I always enjoy watching those. So I'm looking forward to going back to them at some point. I've uh, I, I've got a story about the second one. I've been saving and teasing people for years now. So I, we'll get there eventually, and you will learn okay. the story. But um, we've been dancing around it, folks. Uh, I think we should talk about this week's film. Cam, what do we got? Yes, we are talking about 1995's Ghost in the Shell. Now, this is our first animated, it, you know, we've had a couple of firsts recently. We had our first foreign language film a few weeks mm-hmm. ago with Black Book, the Paul Verhoeven film, uh, which was a smash hit for us. Uh, so we thought we'd do another first with the first animated feature. And there are quite a few animated spy films that we will get to. There's things from like Spies in Disguise, Cars 2, it, kind of a wide spectrum of types of uh, a, a different sorts of animation, I would say. But I'm glad we're starting here. But for those who aren't familiar, here is your letterbox.com synopsis. Ghost in the Shell. It found a voice. Now it needs a body. In the year 2029, the barriers on our world have been broken down by the net and by cybernetics. But this brings new vulnerability to humans in the form of brain hacking. When a highly wanted hacker known as the Puppet Master, begins involving them in politics. Section 9, a group of cybernetically enhanced cops, are called in to investigate and stop the Puppet Master. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's a good ending like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, throwing out to, to the group, Danny, you first, what was your first experience with Ghost in the Shell? Um, To be honest, I actually don't remember exactly um i know i watched this film really later on um in my adult life i never really watched it when i was a kid or anything um so 
at, at watching it as an adult, it was a little confusing. It kind of, it definitely uh, doesn't answer a lot of the questions that you have when you first watch it initially. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it can be a little confusing and, and will leave you a little lackluster kind of, at least that's how I felt. I don't know how you guys felt it when you first watched it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely have to watch it a couple of times before I could actually really appreciate the film because this film is actually a staple in the anime community and everything. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read some mixed thoughts on that, but maybe we'll get to that in a bit. But for me, this was something I didn't pick up in 1995, but I think maybe 98, 99 when it was available for home release is something we definitely had rented from the video store yeah, and, yeah. and watched. I think that was that was basically it. At this point, we were between watching Dragon Ball Z or my brother's collecting Pokemon cards. It was a lot of anime in the house. So when I saw this <laughs> blockbuster, I'm like, yeah, let's let's watch this. And yeah, yeah. It just I remember being I remember being blown away by the visuals, but I remember going, this isn't oh, as fast yeah. paced as like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it doesn't really it doesn't really uh show and tell you. Like they don't visit they they don't actually tell you on what's going on. You kinda have to like put the pieces together a little bit. Mm. So, um yeah, it, it's it can it, one pe- some people can love it and then some people can hate it. So it's it's like both sides of the coin. It's a double edged sword, really. Yeah, so. but what what about you, Cam? I, I I mistakenly told Danny early on that you'd never seen it, but apparently you have. Yeah. So, um, like as a a film buff, like I try to delve into kind of every aspect of film, and anime was one that I always felt was lacking, and it was also very intimidating. Where you'd kind of look out there and be like, I don't even know where to start. And I remember in the, you know, post-Matrix era, they would talk so much about the movies that inspired the Matrix. And that's when you'd kind of go, yes. okay, I'm starting Absolutely. to hear names. Some of these names mm-hmm. are starting to recur. You know, I mentioned Siskel and Ebert. I remember them. I can't remember if it was Siskel and Ebert or Ebert and Roper at that point. It might have been Ebert and Roper, but bringing up Ghost in the Shell and talking about it. And it was a little bit further down the road in the 2000s, probably around the mid-2000s. They used to do this thing at my local theater um, called the Digital Film Fest, where for two slower weeks of the year, they would play, you know, greatest hits. You'd see things like Jurassic Park, the Indiana Jones series, all that sort of stuff. But mm. they did a night where they were programming back to back Akira and Ghost in the Shell. And so I made the effort and mm. said, OK, I mean, not only do I get to see two movies I've heard referenced over and over again, but also on the big screen. And so I went and watched a double feature of both of them. And I really did enjoy both of them. But um, it it was a case like I I haven't watched that many anime since. Like I've watched Studio Ghibli stuff. I've watched a handful. But I've always felt like there's so many titles. I'm never quite sure what I should be watching. (laughs) Danny, I need to be like just getting you to send me recommendations because (laughs) I would be totally game. But it's always like it's kind of like with Bollywood. Like I know there's so many important Bollywood films I should be watching. But I'm never quite sure which ones. Yeah, so. yeah. I will say, um, anime is definitely a lot easier to get into than, like, say, uh, Marvel comics or DC comics or anything like that. Because with anime, especially when it comes to like manga per se, 
um, there is just going to be one volume. Like there mm-hmm. isn't going to be all like these different types of stories that revolve around like Batman or something because Batman has like, you know, 50 billion different types of um, like, I guess, universes and stuff like that where anime is just, oh, you want to read this? Okay, here's volume one. Like, And it's the same thing with anime. It's It's just, oh, you want to watch this? Okay, start with this one. Right. Go on. I did have a quick question, actually. Mm. Everyone's first experience was it with the English dub or with the subtitles? Uh, mine was English, so I I typically over at my podcast I'm typically more dub versus sub. So I I favor more so the dub over uh subtitles sometimes it depends um i definitely uh evolved and started watching more subs uh over the years so um but this movie in particular i did watch it in english so and it's actually pretty solid i i i've watched a few clips of ghost in the shell on youtube in in japanese and i mean it's still Whichever you go with, you're still going to get a good film. And you, Cam? I, I w- I'm pretty sure that I saw a dubbed version, especially if they're showing it very mainstream audience kind of thing. I'm thinking they would have done back-to-back dubbed versions of both Akira and Ghost in the Shell. That's the best of my memory. They probably did do English back then, yeah. especially because um, you know, not a lot of people were really into foreign films and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I'm very highly pretty sure that they did English. Yeah, so. and I did watch the subtitled for the rewatch, and it was actually an interesting comparison in terms of following the plot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, that. that's the beauty of subverse dub. Like, sometimes watching it in, in sub can definitely give you a better understanding of the movie. Or whereas, you know, sometimes there are certain shows or movies that are better in English. Um, I know for me, there are a couple of shows that I just cannot watch it in Japanese because whether there's just too much text on the screen and I'm the type of person Mm. that's like, oh, wait, pause. I want to read everything that is on the screen before I move on so I know what's going on. I, I can't watch Dragon Ball Z or um, Dragon Ball Super or anything like that. Oh, but, Dragon Ball Z is trash in Japanese. I, like, I can't <laughs> watch it in Japanese. I have to watch the dub. Yeah, exactly. I, I just can't do it. I've tried. It's it's terrible. I'm sorry. I don't I don't need Goku uh, yelling and screaming like an old lady. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you understand my pain. Well, the reason I, I mention it uh, is twofold, actually, because I went to because uh, they had the 25th anniversary of this a couple of years back. But because of COVID, they delayed the screenings. They showed them in theaters. And I caught this again last year. And I actually got to see it in Japanese for the first time on the oh, big nice. screen, which cool. was actually a, a quite an interesting experience. But I had seen it a couple of times in English before that. So mm-hmm. I've, I've definitely seen both. But also this week, we have a Spy Master interview coming later this week with Mary Claypool who actually wrote the the dubbing oh nice film. oh cool she wrote the script sweet so nice. yeah we're chatting with her about the whole experience and she's actually done all of the ghost in the shell films since um cool cool, f- cool cool i did not know that that's awesome uh yeah so tune in on friday for that sweet um but 
I think between the three of us, well, actually, I'll exclude myself. Between the two experts in the room, let's talk about uh, how this... Okay, okay. <laughs> There's one expert, let's okay. be honest. I, I, I tell you what, Cam, you introduce the section, then Danny takes over for the rest of it. How did we get Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> yes, so um, this was based on a 1989 manga series written and illustrated by Masumune Shiro. And um, I would just like to know, Danny, had you read the initial manga? I did not. I'm going to okay. tell you right now. I did not. So. Okay. I'm sure it's good, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and like, do you have you read any of the works of the writer illustrator? Um, no. I I mean I I've watched a little bit of Appleseed, but Appleseed isn't really up my alley. So, um, yeah, no, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and so. They were looking to adapt this, and director Mamoru Oshii um, had gotten his start in the late 70s. He'd actually um, gotten his start on an um, anime show called Jetter Mars, and one of the episodes he directed, he directed two for that series, but one of them was called Secret Intelligence Agent Jam Bond. So, Ooh. Scott, we should dig that up. <laughs> <laughs> Jam Bond, that sounds like a band. Mm-hmm. But he had also, you know, worked on shows like Gatchaman 2 and done several films. And the film era really started in 1982. And he had gone in wanting to direct a project called Jinro, The Wolf Brigade. And he had met with Bandai Visual. And they actually wanted him to do Ghost in the Shell. And so that was how that came to be. He did make, I believe, The Wolf Brigade later on. Is that correct, Dan? He So he... He was the original creator, and he also um, wrote the script for it. So, but they actually did end up uh, making it. Uh, they made it in 1999. So, um, yeah, that's actually a really good film. Okay, and I highly recommend it. Cool. And he had said of the Ghost in the Shell property, like apparently it was very popular among animators at the time. Oh and, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's uh, Mamoru Oshii is definitely a huge, uh, you could say, legend uh, mm -hmm. in the anime community, and a lot of the animators definitely wanted him to do a lot of projects and stuff. So yeah, if we're gonna if we if we if we're gonna contextualize his work, then if, if he's one of the big fish at that point, are we talking like he's a Spielberg in that sort of realm? Or is he more like artsy? Is he like a Cronenberg? I would say he was. He's definitely more artsy versus like like mainstream. Like Miyazaki. Like yeah, he's definitely no Miyazaki for sure. Um, I would say uh, Oshisan. He he's more so uh, bat like behind the scenes. He doesn't really um, provide or you know do a whole lot. Like he kind of keeps him to himself a little bit and he's very i would say uh he can be a little um particulate with the projects that he he wants to do really so sounds more like um, a tarantino he, yeah yeah you could say that um he's he's done in the in recent year uh, recently like a lot of his staff stuff that he's done um He's done a couple of scripts for a couple of episodes in Lupin the Third, Part Six. Um, he was the original creator for Vlad Love, which uh, that came out fairly recently. 
So, I mean, he's still active and he's still doing a lot of projects and stuff. So, but he doesn't really do a whole lot of like interviews. And um, like I said, he's no Miyazaki or, um, mm. you know, uh, I can't think of anyone else who's like super popular at the, at the moment. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, it was interesting. I was actually just reading some anniversary pieces on Ghost in the Shell where they'd done interviews with him, mostly mm -hmm. via email. But yeah, it, yeah. It, they were very like kind of short and to the point. Like he wasn't someone who clearly wanted to dive deep into the whole process. He had a great quote, though, about just the Ghost in the Shell property where he said, I figured it would eventually be animated and that I would likely end up directing the animated adaptation. Yes. It's like, yes. OK, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, he directed and he did the storyboarding, um, you know, and Ghost in the Shell also ended up there ended up being um, another film, which was Ghost in the Shell 2. And it also uh, led to Ghost in the Shell 2.0 and then um, the series, which is Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which um a lot of people in the community think that the show is a lot better than the movies interesting i have heard this actually um i did just want to say about the the director you should always be your own biggest fan so credit to him for mm. saying yeah. he, he was gonna do it i appreciate that <laughs> a man after my own heart short emails yeah. and i like myself yeah that's, that's the way to be um yeah but i had heard that like people think the the actual anime show is a much better translation than this film yeah it just deep dives a little bit more and you get a little bit more of understanding of the major and everything and, and where the major comes from and you know all that kind of stuff so uh but cam please continue yeah so um he was working on ghost in the shell with writer um kazunori ito who had gotten a start in the early 80s. One of his early efforts was, uh, I believe, uncredited work on Studio Ghibli's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And that one's also a good movie. Yeah, that's one. That's an outstanding one I need to watch. Um, that one is on my to-watch list. We, we did a review on that, actually. So, <laughs> And yeah, so he went on and wrote 50 episodes of the series um, Yurusei Yatsura, from 82 to 84 and also that was also a series that Mamoru Oshi was directing so I'm guessing that's sort of where the relationship started because they would go on and do several projects together including um, Twilight Q and also a live action film called Red Spectacles so it made sense for them as collaborators to roll into Ghost in the Shell yeah was Tom Hanks in that in Red Spectacles yeah just <laughs> continuing the red themes clothing oh. thing Right, right. Good point. Yeah. Not that I know of. Okay. Um, not that I know of. Oh, right. um, <laughs> that joke did not land, everyone. That joke did not land. <laughs> and um, just the visual look was something that was quite brown, uh, groundbreaking at the time. It was created through the use of digitally generated animation and a combo of cell animation, computer graphics, and audio. And it was referred to as, I believe, a DGA. And it was like audio that was achieved and entered as digital data which I feel like nowadays is probably much more common, but at the time was very groundbreaking. It didn't feel like I, I'd seen anything like it in anime when I first saw this film. Yeah, and I, I do feel like that's something that um, Ebert was saying when he was reviewing it as well in the 90s. It's definitely groundbreaking, and, it, and, and it, it's definitely a stepping stone 
for animation um because you know i mean you have akira which uh, literally akira saved the anime industry and then you have um ghost in the shell where it breaks barriers and it also uses a little bit of cgi and it also uses a lot of cell work Mm. so um was that was that somewhat sort of taboo at the time using cg and things like that because you think of like dylan when he first picked up an electric guitar and people are shouting at him because he's not playing an acoustic anymore is it that kind yeah. of thing um in japan japan <laughs> japanese animation even though japan has like they're they're miles ahead of anybody when it comes to technology but their cg animation is pure trash like it's interesting it's just they don't understand it it's definitely no pixar or anything like that um it can be a little bit of an eyesore however over the years um so like a lot of anime today um there are some um anime studios that strictly do just do cg animation and it's actually fairly decent in and you can you can rarely tell that it's cg and stuff so like studio orange for example is purely cg animation and when you watch something from them you can you can tell but it's it's still easy on the eyes right I, I tend to prefer hand-drawn animation. I just find it like more beautiful to look at. A lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, when Disney decided to go to the to the three D, you know, the CG route, I was just all like, eh, but hand-drawn animation is so pretty. Why do you know. gotta go this way? <laughs> what was Disney's last one? Was it The Princess and the Frog? The, the Princess and the Frog was their very last animated film. Yeah. And then they just went on with CG. Which isn't bad. No, it's not bad. They did some Winnie, They did a Winnie the Pooh one, I think, in twenty like eleven, but it was not a major release. It was not a Princess and yeah, the Frog. That, yeah, I mean Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh, but let's face it, Winnie the Pooh just goes straight to DVD. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's I guess I'll just mention Disney did start incorporating CG in I think nineteen eighty six with the Great Mouse Detective. Where yes, they were doing and, like the bells of a church yes, in CG, and that yeah. is my all-time favorite underrated Disney movie. Okay, I okay. love that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very good. I'll, I'll stick to Robin Sorry. Hood. Pretty great. That's always my go-to. Robin Hood was good. Robin Hood was good, but come on, Vincent Price as Radigan. Come on, and he sings. Like you yeah. can't, you can't go wrong isn't, with that. Isn't Vincent Price Doctor Goldfoot? He is. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. We'll be talking about Dr. Goldfoot quite soon, I think, actually. So we'll have a Vincent Price appearance. That's yes. right. <laughs> so the financials on this movie are to be taken with a grain of salt, honestly, because the thing is, like, it cost $2.5 That was its budget. But when you're talking about how much it actually earned, it was uh, direct-to-DVD. A lot of places, um, a lot of other markets, it was very limited screenings before it went to DVD. So, like, I don't really take much of the box office information that seriously on this one because it was quite successful in the long haul in terms of DVD sales. Um, but for domestic numbers, so for, like, North America, I have $889,000 and then international um, $30 million. So, sorry, no, correct that. Sorry, $30,000. I was going to say, it did really well for itself for a second there. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stole it away. <laughs> yeah, so, like, 
again, like if it's playing select screenings in more boutique theaters, that kind of makes sense. And for a very limited run, because when you look up the DVD release dates, especially in like North America, very shortly after those theatrical windows. That makes sense. I, I, I despite I, I had read in my uh, research that this was pitched almost as like a you know to try and break through barriers overseas this to be the first one to actually go into theaters or more than just a couple of showings but i i don't remember this ever being publicized here i don't remember ever seeing a poster for it in the uk yeah i mean that siskel and ebert review would have been my awareness that this was something that was playing in theaters there was not like ads in my newspaper or anything Mm. like that and it is notable like i found that they said you know in terms of dvd grosses it did 43 million so like this thing was a huge success story just in terms of when you're measuring it the way we so often do on the show at looking at box office it it doesn't really apply to this movie i imagine a lot of people were in your position cam where they're like "Uh, i don't know how to start this is this is this where i go is this how i do it i don't know and so you would then wait until it comes out on home rentals and you'd pick it up that way yeah and also like if it i would imagine it probably played in my neck of the woods maybe but it would have been one art house theater in downtown vancouver and so like if you lived in the suburbs you know that's <laughs> many miles away if you're quite young anime hasn't gotten mainstream until 2010 mm. like anime was definitely still like the underdog um quote unquote normal people like celebrities and and shit like that like they, they no one was vocal about watching anime mm. and stuff like that um and i mean a lot of people don't even realize that a lot of hollywood movies are inspired by anime as well um black swan was inspired by perfect blue for example uh inception was inspired by uh paprika so there are numerous of anime that has inspired Hollywood films. So including this one. Absolutely, yeah. This one uh inspired the Matrix. So <laughs> Yeah, I've got a little bit about that that the Wachowskis showed the film to producer Joel Silver as an example of what they hoped to achieve when they were trying to get him to make the Matrix. So they were basically mm-hmm. like, watch this, that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can, and they you did can, a great job. Yeah, you can actually like point at scenes and be like, "That's in the Matrix." They, yeah, basically yeah. Taken these so bits. like a couple, a couple of key points that um that the Matrix Matrix has is the kind of little device that they put behind mm-hmm. their neck, and you see Makoto pulling um wires uh behind her neck and everything like that. So that is definitely one key point on what Ghost in the Shell inspired the Matrix to do. And I can't remember a lot of the other things that they kind of inspired to do. Well, like there's like the um, slow motion stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a lot yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, bullet, yeah. bullet time, as they'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on, Cam. Uh, but just to wrap it up, basically, um, the top three for this year, number one was Toy Story. So there's a obviously big animated film. <laughs> number two was Apollo 13. Number three was Batman Forever. And also notable, you had at number six, Goldeneye. And number 163, the spy film Bad Company. And yeah, just to wrap it up, um, um, 
Mamoru um, Oshii returned for Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, but not the writer. Um, they actually, I guess, split apart for that one. And then also there was the revised version, which Danny referenced, the Ghost in the Shell 2.0. And I'd like to ask her a question about that in a second. But that film was intended to reflect, I think, changes in perspective on the material. Um, so that kind of wraps up the behind the scenes. But I would like to know, Danny, in terms of Ghost in the Shell 2.0, is it drastic differences? I never watched it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Is it like considered yes. like a? Yes. Is it considered like an important version of the movie, or is it kind of no, more of a novelty one? It's just a novelty. Uh, it's kind of, I, from what I heard, it's kind of more of a rendition. So here, I'm I'm at, uh, I'm actually going to read something. Uh, when Oshi went back to making changes to the original Ghost in the Shell, the re-release it. To re-release it, it as Ghost in the Shell 2.0, one of the reasons he gave was that the film did not resemble the sequel. He wanted to update the film to reflect changes in perspective. Right. So it's pretty much the same film, except he just made a couple of changes. Okay, fair enough. So, and have you watched the sequel? I did not. Um, yeah. I heard. I d I did not really heard hear good things about it, and the sequel isn't really necessary, mm -hmm. um, especially in the anime community. I'm sure it's good. Um, Mamoru Oshii tends to. You can even see in the sequel's um, uh, poster cover. There's a basset hound, um, and I believe. I, I could be wrong about this fact, but I believe Mamoru Oshii is very, like, he loves his Basset Hounds, and almost all his movies, he kind of um, puts in a Basset Hound. Uh, in g this movie, Ghost in the Shell, there is a Basset Hound in, in the movie, so, um, and apparently he has, like, dozens of Basset Hounds. I, I know the it's art style in 2.0, oh, no, sorry, in 2.0, in, in Innocence, changes as well. Like, it's not the same type of animation so it does look it's quite jarring when you watch them back to back mm-hmm mm -hmm, yeah um like i said i never even watched that either because i heard that you don't really need to watch it and stuff yeah um people in the community just tend to watch ghost in the shell and then they just go straight to standalone complex and, and, and we won't be covering any of the sequels but on the show but we will be covering the remake Oh no! <laughs> oh no! And Danny no. will be back for that. See you then, no, Danny. No, I won't. No, I won't. It'll just be a full commentary of her by herself, and we'll release that. Oh <laughs> man, I haven't even seen ScarJo. Like, no, I have not. I have not watched it yet. Okay, you could you could be changed, but we we'll, we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, Cam, do you have any more for us? Nope, that wraps me up. All right, we're here. Let's talk about it. Ghost in the Shell, 1995. Danny, what do you think about this film? Look on back on it now. How does it stand for you? Um, well, I definitely have a little bit more of an understanding about it now. Uh, like I said in the beginning of today's episode, uh, I had a little bit of difficulty following it um, because they don't really explain a whole lot of things. Um, so the only thing that, that they typically explain it, well, refer, uh, your ghost is that your ghost is your, the form of human subconscious and stuff like that. So that was, 
you know, you're just like, what is ghosts? Like, I have no idea what ghost means. And the more that you watch it and the more that you realize what um, Makoto is talking about and and all of her, you know, trying to kind of like wondering and, and where she actually came from and everything like that is definitely very confusing when you watch it for the first time. So, um, but second time around, got to a little bit of an understanding on who Makoto was uh, or is. Not only that, the show, Standalone Complex, also helps you a little bit in the understanding of what Ghost Ghost is and what Ghost in the Shell is about and stuff. So, but yeah, uh, I mean, I always love watching this movie. Uh, The music in particular is, I'm a fan favorite of it. So, um, and it really, it's very subtle, but also it can be also very eerie all at the same time because you're seeing you're seeing the movie in Makoto's eyes and, and she's also kind of like doubting herself because of the puppet master when she meets the puppet master. Um, and, you know, she even asks Bateau, like, uh, you know, is the puppet master and me uh, like alike? And Bateau is all like, well, what do you mean? You look nothing alike. And but and Makoto is just, you know, saying, no, I meant like personality per se. Like, are we alike? And so, you know, it's enjoyable to see the doubt and the journey that Makoto has, because when you first meet Makoto, she is definitely a deadpan face rarely even blinks at all throughout the entire film because you know she may portray a human but she's really a cyborg so and she just has no feeling and everything like that so it's very interesting to see you know somebody who potentially could be not human at all like like she said in the film like you know I feel like I I was a person, but I died, and they just put my brain in this body. So um, you ha- you even have a little bit of sympathy for Makoto and everything like mm. that when it comes to that kind of aspect. I'm going to stop us for a second because I'm confused. Is it Matoko or Makoto? Uh, Matoko. Okay. I must have. I probably mixed it up a little it's bit. It's okay. I, I'd rather stop us and get it right now, moving forward, so we yeah, don't get it wrong yeah. further. Matoko. Yeah. yeah, Matoko. The expert has been dethroned. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, on my podcast, uh, I do a lot of uh, mixing up words, and the Anime Summit community calls them Dannyisms. Ah, okay. Where um, we are. So, like with cinematography, I say cinematography. <laughs> I like it. Sounds delicious. It's it's very yeah. sweet. I like it, yeah. 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 So so um th- enjoy the Dannyisms. Uh, we've had our first Dannyism everyone, so there we go. Uh, Matoko Makoto, I don't mind. You're, you're the major to yeah. me. That's or, fine. Yeah, literally you could just call her the major. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um But you you're definitely right though. I mean this film, I think if you're watching it as a kid for the first time, you're not going to get anything that's going on. Oh, absolutely not. A 12-year-old is not going to understand, or at least, like, I I would think a 12-year-old would not understand this movie. You'd watch it and enjoy the action sequences and some of yeah. the spectacles. Absolutely. That, that, mm-hmm, that looks mm-hmm. great. But the metaphor, 
that's buried oh, into yeah, this. Oh yeah, yeah. Everything that yeah. goes behind it and everything, it's phew over the head. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what about you, Cam? What do you think? I just think visually, this movie is arresting. It's the sort of thing where I was so sucked into the visuals on this, you know, go around with it. The creation of like its city, Newport City, is like the kind of place you see in movies like you know, Gotham in Batman or like the city in Blade Runner. It just has this unbelievable vibe and atmosphere that really can't be underrated. Like I think anyone who is into just visual design needs to watch this movie. From a plot point, I actually found this because I watched it subtitled this time. I found the subtitles very difficult because there is a lot of explanation and those subtitles change real fast. So uh-huh. let me tell you, taking notes <laughs> and following those subtitles may have been the most difficult thing I've ever done for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're stretching you, And you're not the anime person, mm-hmm. and you watched it in sub. Congrats. I, I watch a lot of subtitled movies, so it's not like I'm intimidated by subtitles, but the ones here were moving so fast that I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I will tell you, Japanese subtitles are... Honestly, like the top difficulty of foreign subtitles yeah, ever. I can like, believe I'm it. I'm going to, <laughs> like, there are numerous of shows where I just literally put my hands on my face. I'm like, I can't watch this. I don't know what the hell's going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so. I, I, I would just say, like, Cam, it sounds like you're enjoying this film cinematography. <laughs> I was enjoying it, yes. But it was interesting because, like, you know, I watch like a lot of Kurosawa films and Ozu films that go back to the past, but they're more slower paced films. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. this is 80 minutes and it moves at a clip. And so the subtitles, people talk quickly. So the subtitles are moving quickly. And to add insult to injury for me, the subtitles weren't just at the bottom of the screen, they would alternate top and bottom. On the top, yeah, because. <laughs> Because there would be some stuff that would like they'll show like a poster or Mm -hmm. a billboard and it's all in Japanese and they want to show you the translation of what that poster or billboard is. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean by like, wait, pause. I have to pause the movie. I need to I need to read what's on top. I need to read what's on the side and I need to also read what's on the bottom. Just just imagine (laughs) what it was like for me and my brother sitting in the cinema watching this not knowing we were going into the subbed version and i mean like not being prepared for it and then i mean we were the only two people there right unfortunately (laughs) that's where the meme photo i wouldn't call that unfortunately at least in my opinion i I, wouldn't call that unfortunately i think more people should be watching this film i think that (laughs) you should be enjoying it i i liked having to myself you're right actually i yeah sort everyone else get out of my theaters you dirty dirty people yeah you're (laughs) all gross wash your hands But what what this film, I think, does beautifully, though, is like at first my notes are just like a fever dream of me trying to keep track of plot points. Um, and then it was like I just kind of gave up and I said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about that. And just I enjoy think enjoy the movie. Exactly. Like as an experience, <laughs> I think it really just sucked me in. And I think this movie does something for me that the original Mission Impossible did when I was a teenager where Mission Impossible Back in 1996, that movie was considered very confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's so much the case now when you watch it. I think it's actually we've been brought up just in terms of convoluted plots. We now watch that one and see it as very straightforward. But at the time, people were very confused by that movie. And as a teenager, I loved watching it, even though I couldn't quite figure it out. And I would actually rewatch it over and over, trying to just connect all the dots because I just loved the atmosphere and the set pieces and the characters. 
And I think that's kind of the case here where like, I didn't feel when we got to the end, I understood what the story was about. It was more a moment to moment confusion, but it's the sort of thing that because I was so invested in all the set pieces and the animation and the atmosphere and the characters that the plot became secondary where I got the bigger picture, but I would feel compelled to go back later and nail down the little points, but they aren't necessary. Like the movie, your enjoyment is not going to hinge on whether you picked up every little bit of dialogue from like, you know, the section six guy. Right. And I, I think, yeah, if we're looking at the sub versus dubbed debate on this one, I think dubbed is the way to go just because you could sit back and enjoy the, the spectacle that you're watching on the screen and not have to worry about darting your eyes around to look at words. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. This yeah. movie is definitely a more, uh, especially if you don't, if you're not, um, well-versed, yeah, if you're yeah, you could say Wolverse. Um, or if you don't know Japanese, yeah, fluent. Yeah. You're you're better off watching it in English so you can enjoy the cinematography mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the animation mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, and then you know definitely like what can't you know what you should really do is you know watch it the second time and maybe watch it in sub so that you can. I guess maybe get a little bit of an understanding because sometimes reading it also can give you a better aspect of what the movie is and everything. So, but I, I know what you mean, Cam, about sort of just I, funny that actually Danny mentioned Tenet because it, it don't try to understand it, just feel it. That line <laughs> yeah. from the film, it kind of works with this too. You know, you, you don't really need to dive. I mean, there's a lot to dive into when it comes to the underlying, you know, all these different allegories and stuff in the back of this film. It's great, but. As an like experience, an eighty-minute film, just sit back and watch it. I don't think you need to overanalyze. Um, as for me, I still enjoy it. I think I enjoy it a lot more as an adult, being able to pick apart the themes and uh, really dive into some of the talking points this film actually likes to to, to look at. Some really fascinating stuff. And, uh, and there's an article that I'm going to get Cam to link, and I'll talk about that in a bit in the show notes below. But you know, just as, as like a broad thing. This is a game changer when it comes to anime. There's a reason why we chose this as our first anime. There's a reason why people who listen, I imagine, who are listeners to the Anime Summit podcast have come over to hear this that still talk about this film and still reference this film because it it was that pivotal moment and it still holds up now. Mm-hmm. They did oh, something yeah, absolutely. right. Absolutely. Even yeah. though this movie came out in 1995, it's still... It's still beautiful to to look at. Um, you know, the story is so great to um, you know, dive in and everything. It it there it it aged very well over the years. We mentioned Spielberg earlier. You look at something like Jurassic Park. That mm-hmm. still looks terrific. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, absolutely. And this is exactly the same for me. And you know, the, we're a spy movie podcast and we're talking about an anime film that isn't you know it's not about men in tuxedos drinking martinis it's not exactly in you you might not look at this film and instantly go oh that's a spy film but really there is a ton of layers of spy work in this film and and we're going to explore Mm -hmm. some more of that in the interview later this week actually with mary but you know there's a lot you can really look at it from when it comes to like ghosts are like people because i i wrote this down very early in my notes but james bond is a ghost Mm. and the shell is lazenby Roger Moore, 
Sean Connery. And it, it, it can just flow like that. The same with, I guess, the Mission Impossible thing. Like, Phelps has been played by two different people. It's the same thing. You could... Um, I think it, it's really quite applicable. So I'm quite glad we stuck with this as the first one. But, you know, my overall thought is, I'm glad I saw it in the cinema. I'm glad I rewatched it. I'm glad I picked up the 4K for this viewing. It's a stunning film, and I will continue to rewatch it. And it's actually aged incredibly well just in terms of its animation because it is that blend of hand-drawn with CG, but it's not putting all of the weight on the CG. Like when you go back and I mentioned Toy Story was the number one grossing movie of this particular year. You go back and watch like Toy Story, um, you know, A Bug's Life, some of those early Pixars, like the CG animation has started to show its seams. Whereas when I watch Ghost in the Shell, I wouldn't really say that's the case. It, It feels kind of timeless because it's such a, unique kind of visual look well it's predominantly hand-drawn it's Mm -hmm. a lot of cell work per se so you know you can't really tell where the cg is like i i will tell you right now anytime i watch it i can't like you're not seeing me with like my magnifying glass on the screen say oh there's the cg i see it like you can't tell where it is so nor are you really kind of like looking for it per se Mm. So well, let's let's look at um, some individual aspects that we liked about the film. So, so Danny, you first. What's um, something you liked about the film? A section, a person, a character. What would you, what Ooh, would you like to mention? Well, the major um, Matoko. Mm-hmm. Um, she is de- <laughs> she is definitely my all. Like you don't. She's my favorite because number one, um, you don't see too many female protagonists. Yeah. Um, particularly in spy movies, since this is a spy uh, podcast. So um, you don't really see too many um, leading female spies, per se. Um, And Matoko, she is definitely that um, strong-willed kind of, she wants to figure out, you know, what the puppet master really wants and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and she, in the the very beginning of the film is so important um and honestly the beginning of the film the first like i want to say maybe like 10 to 15 20 minutes of the film is like the most iconic uh scene in the film when it comes to her um taking off her like trench coat whatever to reveal her skin tight uh looking nude um spy outfit and then her kind of just like turning and falling off the building and then her going into that building to kill one of the um political uh diplomat people um and she runs out of the out of the window and she's falling and she's just looking up at the guys and she just puts her face over her uh puts her hand over her face to reveal that like she's like her her special suit can make her invisible and everything like that. So yeah, I was going to say, Cam, I didn't need you to wear that skin tight suit for the recording. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually know you we were doing this movie. I just was wearing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, another iconic moment um, in the film is the fight scene that Matoko has when she's in her invisible suit with the guy and they're in like kind of like that pond looking area. Um, it's like, I mean, it's not a deep kind of pond, but like they're definitely uh, in water. And 
the fact that the guy is like he doesn't know where Matoko is and like he's kind of like fighting air and you know there are a couple moments where you know Matoko does like a a sweep kick underneath his feet and everything and that that whole scene is just super iconic and well like very well animated um it's definitely one of my favorites well yeah the major is she's she's our protagonist and you're right there are not enough female leads in spy movies or films period and we've encountered this problem numerous times in the podcast so it's nice to see a well-written female lead so bravo to that we were doing it in 95 we should be doing it now and yeah we, we could you could point out lots of really cool sequences like the one at the start there also when she's fighting the tank at the end and like rips herself oh, in half yeah. just to try mm-hmm. and get to it but mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. I, I for me what i find fascinating about her on this rewatch is just the the question she brings up about what is a person what yes. is consciousness yeah mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. i i always go back to um the the broom problem i've heard it referred to online as but like a broom has a stick and a head okay and as you use a broom your your head will wear out so you put a new head on it and then as you're using it the stick will break so you'll put a new stick in it now is that the broom that you started with or is that a new broom Hmm. because it's still your broom right right Mm -hmm. so what broom is it and she is by this point almost completely cybernetic she's a cyborg so she has some human components in there but she's i think she's like over 99 percent cybernetic at this point and she doesn't even know if she was a person that died or if she's completely fake memories but she has every right to have these feelings and to go through this process and it's about the film is about her like discovery of that and her molding with with another with another ai yeah yeah the the beauty of of seeing um matoko doubting like her quote-unquote humanity especially when she's interacting with bateau Mm -hmm. um one scene in particular that i can definitely remember um aside from her asking bateau are uh, you know is the puppet master and me alike um is another scene where she goes out diving Mm -hmm. on a boat um and she she's just in the water and of course, you see that beautiful uh, when she's floating up to the surface and you can see that it's her. And then also there's a reflection of her as well. And that's also kind of like your theme and representation of like who is the real Matoko kind of thing. Um, and then once she gets on the boat, you know, Bateau is on the boat and saying, you know, aren't you afraid that you're gonna sink and everything like that like like how was your dot like how was swimming what was swimming like and everything and she she says it she's like i had i had a sense of fear i had anxiety um i think she says something else but i can't remember what else she says but she has those feelings so there is a small sense that matoko has some sort of humanity in her Mm. because she's feeling those things when she goes uh diving and everything like that and also but also she's still kind of not human like she doesn't really have you know human aneurysms especially when she's undressing Mm. because there are some key points where uh during when she was on the boat she took off her diving suit and it panned to another frame where bateau was looking but then he had the need to kind of 
look away in a sense of respect for Matoko to undress in privately kind of. But and then there's another scene in the beginning where she was finished fighting off that that guy um, and she still had like that skin tight bare like kind of nude looking um, suit and Bateau just so happened to have the need for him to put a, co- a coat mm. around her to cover herself. Yeah. So it's um it's, it's interesting. You look at that scene where she's coming up to the surface when she's out on the boat. And I always took that as like a mirror image of when she's being created in the credits. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That, like mm-hmm, her being mm-hmm. born. She's trying to re- yes. rebirth herself to be something else. Yes. And that, yes. Yeah. And that, I, I, I like that. And I, I sent this article to Cam a couple of months ago and we were talking about doing this film by, um, by Willow McClay over on rogerebert.com. And you know she's a, she's a trans woman and talking about sort of the identity issues that she went through and the identity issues that Matoko is dealing with in this film. I think it's such a fascinating article. I think everyone should go check it out. We'll put it in the show notes below. Um, and, and but what's crazy is this is also an eighty-minute film and it it packs this you know philosophical punch, several philosophical punches, whilst also being a kick-ass action film at the same time i know me and cam have sat through three hour films for this podcast that have not done anything right um which is crazy but cam what about you something you liked well you just underlined it right there it's the balance of these philosophical concepts with being an action film and delivering on both fronts you can look at a movie like blade runner which i don't know how much they were looking at blade runner when they were you know adapting this i really don't know but you can see the similarities at least thematically yeah and visually but like um to me like blade runner is more of a philosophical movie than an action movie like you don't really watch it for its action whereas i would say like this one does exactly what the wachowskis succeeded with with the matrix where they made an incredibly like crowd-pleasing exciting movie that also has these heady concepts. So it's like, you can sit through it and just be like, that was a really thrilling 90-minute movie that I enjoyed and got a lot out of. But if you want to dig deeper, there's so much there. And that scene on the boat, you know, we were just talking about, about her diving and then swimming up towards hope. And it's that, you know, rebirth of tying that all to this villain at the end who wants to essentially be reborn and have the ability to die and to procreate by merging with her at the end. It's all of these concepts that like, if you are just a teenager looking for sensationalistic kind of thrills, this movie will give you that. But it's almost like giving you these sorts of philosophical ideas so that like it's kind of like inviting you in. Like kind of like almost like if I was a teenager, this would have been a really good introduction to headier films because it would give me the things that I'd be signing up for, but then saying, Oh, and by the way, you know, plug into this stuff. This is really interesting. Kind of like The Matrix did. Was that a pun? Sure. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um i guess for mine and i think we've tackled a lot of the stuff i liked but it's sort of a review section but i do just want to talk about the cinematography Mm. there's 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 several stunning shots that i don't think i've ever seen in animation like there's one right towards the end actually where motoko is with the puppet master and it does like this split shot where like the focus is on motoko's face and then it, it, like a split focus where it goes onto the puppet master's face in an animation, whereas it's drawn. They could both be in focus. It chose to shift focus between two things. There was thought processes put into that scene. And 
that just blows me away. Or like there's a there's a moment where Matoko is, is riding around on a boat around the town, just looking in the windows of the shops, and that fantastic soundtrack is in the background, just making it feel all moody. And they're just looking at buildings. I'm I'm just I'm 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 in rapture just looking at it. Like, God lord, this is a good looking film. The 4K did help though, to be fair. I there's a couple of montages just of the city and music playing over. Like I could just sit and watch those on a loop. They're just so beautiful. And actually, another shot that I loved, not as tranquil, but the moment where there is the assailant with the machine gun and he's firing and the gun is actually pushing him back as he's firing. And like that was an incredible little visual moment. You just, I, I just have to think they, they put a ton of effort into thinking about this. And, and people dismiss and still dismiss animation, anime, as mm-hmm. not a proper form of cinema or entertainment. Oh, it's just for... It's just for the geeks out it's there. It's just for kids. Yeah, just for know? kids. And <laughs> very North American. That's yeah. very common in North America, yeah. I would watch this before a lot of films we've covered on this podcast. Yeah. In terms of pure entertainment. I'm not talking about the knocklets, but something I would reach for to watch myself. Mm-hmm. You know, what this does in, in 85 minutes is, is, is insane. And I think we can't really move on to sort of dislikes without talking about the influence it has had on cinema. I mean, we spoke about The Matrix Connection which is there. I mean, you can do shot for shot bits where they've taken stuff in the matrix, but they've obviously referenced their work. They've cited ghost in the shell, but yeah, I mean, in terms of action cinema, I think a lot of people have taken stuff from this film going forward. I think, you know, maybe not the borns of the world, the sort of shaky cam action cutting, but some of the more like artsy shooters, I feel like have referenced back to this and also just things that deal with like, it's funny you look at like data in star trek which i know is before this Mm. but that whole like discuss of like what is human that's still going on now with like star trek picard people are still talking about that sort of stuff what you know picard is now a robot apparently um i just think that this is the film that almost started that conversation well it's like you had that cyberpunk craze Mm -hmm. that was kicked off where there was just a, a lot of cyberpunk uh cyberpunk fiction coming out and it feels like this was Danny maybe can answer this better, but I feel like this was maybe one of the the first great adaptations of that to like a film medium. I don't know that there was one earlier that's jumping out, at least to me, because I'm more racking my brain for um, North American films. Nothing is really jumping to my mind, but I don't know if there was a lot else that was really hitting home runs with cyberpunk because it's something even post this movie, you're seeing a lot of a lot of junk. Like I think of Johnny Mnemonic and stuff like that. Oof. Right, yeah. With the, with uh, Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Our Thunderball commentary is live now and put on your best Kevin Costner British accent because we are tackling 1991's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and it's going to be a bullseye. And if that sounds 
delicious? Then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, well, I, let's... Let's pivot us over to dislikes because we can't uh, let a film go without poking fun at it just a little bit. Um, I, I'm actually going to go first. Okay. Yeah, you guys go first. D- D- <laughs> D- uh, Danny's saying this is a perfect film. Okay, fine. We're going to need one dislike from you. So we're going to come for you. Don't worry. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind, but there's a lot of gratuitous shots of female bodies in this film. I I just for me like there's there's bits that are quite tasteful. I think like with the major jumping off the building at the start, which is wearing that sort of camo suit, it makes sense. But you know, in the opening credits, you've just got shots of naked uh, cyborgs. I I don't know. I I found that like a bit heavy-handed at times. I didn't need to see it as much. Anyone else notice that? Well. So that beginning sequence when Mato- Matoko is quote unquote being born, mm. um, that whole scene is kind of the resemblance of being born. So, and of course, when you are born into this life, you are naked. Like you are not fully clothed when you're in the womb. Uh, excuse so. me. I came out wearing a tuxedo <laughs> and drinking a martini. <laughs> Shaken, not stirred, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah, that whole thing. I mean, that I feel like the whole nudity aspect is, to me, I don't feel like that. I would say for people who are non-anime viewers, they would get a little taken back by the, of so much nudity. And I can understand, um, Scott, where you're coming from, where you were a little bit taken back and you could have used a little less of the nudity and stuff. However, I, I would say like Ghost in the Shell, for example, is definitely like that whole thing is breaking boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, this is just a body. But not only that, not only is this a body, but this is a cyborg body and she doesn't really identify as a female. She doesn't even know what her identity is. Yeah. And so. I, I just, I, the reason I mentioned it is because when I was sat in that cinema with my younger brother, like that's a weird experience to be going through. Um, I mean, I, at least you didn't watch that with your mom or a <laughs> well we we did rent it as a family so i think i may have oh wow oh, well. yeah <laughs> okay I, I think i know a like i kind of agree with, just a tiny bit with you scott not so much in terms of any of the showpiece moments like the moments where they're uh, you know that stuff up front where she's diving off the building anything like that i think really works within the context of the character who you know as you said doesn't really regard nudity as a thing so it's her inaction and having those moments works for me in terms of the film but there's a couple shots where they'll have just like her in conversation and they're actually framing the camera like cutting her head almost out of the picture and framing like you know her chest up front in the frame and then the the guy talking in the back and I was like okay I feel like they're cropping it in a way now where it feels a little leering but it's only those small handful of selective shots I think when it comes to the the larger picture it works well, I'll throw the question to Danny real quick. Is that something that is of the time? 
or, or of mm. the style of animation. Like if I went and watched anime in the nineties, uh, well, actually, I did quite a lot, and I suppose Dragon Ball had quite <laughs> a bit, actually, to be fair. And Sailor Moon. Yeah, you had yeah. freaking little Goku peeing in in the freaking lake, yeah. and you literally saw his penis. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very true. I mean, I was a big comic book reader, and you look at the way they made. Well, both male and female characters look in comic books, you know, in that era, they still do to a degree, but they've tried to clamp down on it in some ways, but they would put them in very risque costumes um, in comics back then. Yeah, I mean, the human body, I I would say over, it, it really depends on what you're watching. Like there is a genre for nudity it's called etchy and like you get the freaking big boobs one more time e- pan- etchy etch etchy yeah down. it's e- uh, <laughs> ecc no eccchi <laughs> um yeah no there there is an actual genre for that like it's you know you see panty shots um skirts getting lift up like all that kind of stuff um where's the dudes so the dudes are the ones who are gawking over the big ass boobs and they're getting nosebleeds constantly. I get nothing. So. I never get anything. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's a norm of anime, but it is a genre that is explored within the community mm. and everything. So, um, I would, to answer your question, is it a norm? I would say yes and no, mm-hmm. because it would all depend on what you're watching. I suppose so. if people are listening to this and then thinking about watching the film afterwards, I, I I suppose I don't want to say like this is riddled with nudity, but like don't yeah, it's don't, not don't be surprised if you see like <laughs> the odd nipple from time to time. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Uh, just be prepared. But uh, Danny, are you prepared to give us your dislike? Oh, um, I mean. I would. I don't think I. I dislike it. Like I love this film. I enjoy it through and through. No matter how many times I watch it, um, I. I would say. I guess my one dislike would be uh, the pacing, and uh, the very little detail and explanation that goes on within the movie, mm-hmm. um, because they kind of, you know, when when you whether you're watching a show or a movie. Um, and this is coming from my experience of anime. Um, American TV shows and American movies are a little bit different. So, um, but with Ghost in the Shell, they don't explain like who Matoko is, who Bato is. Like they don't explain all that stuff. They just literally throw you in and it's all like here's this woman she's a cyborg she doesn't she's questioning you know if she's human or not um you know and she has to find this puppet master because she may she may just so happen to get answers from this puppet master and that's pretty much all you get like there there are a lot of questions that go into the movie that you are left a little lackluster at the end um which is why I feel people, if especially non-anime people who don't really know the concept of Ghost in the Shell, because when I was when I was a young uh, lassie, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not I knew. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I almost said when I was a young warthog. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping up the animation theme there, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I was, you know, in my teens and stuff, I knew of Ghost in the Shell, but I, I never you know, said, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie because I know of it, but I want to know more about it, like that kind of thing. I, I knew of it. I just never got the chance to watch it until my early 20s. Um, so I would say that in that aspect, like it's definitely something that you need to watch a couple times to actually really understand what is going on in the movie. It's, it's strange. We're going back to Tenet again, aren't we? This yes, is, this we is are. just like Tenet. You need to kind of watch it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Interesting because the director talked about being influenced by a lot of hard-boiled North American films. Mm-hmm. And when I think of old film noirs, a lot of them, the plots are incredibly complicated to the point where, frankly, you're not really going to understand them. It's more about mm-hmm. tone and atmosphere and mood than yeah. sitting there and clamping down on plot points. But, yeah. Yeah, and so I think... I understand why the movie functions that way, but I also completely understand anyone who watches it and is like, I, I was confused I don't get by it. what was, yeah, I get yeah. the, uh, yeah. that complaint. Yeah. Um, as for a dislike for me, it's kind of tough because I feel like we've kind of covered them. I guess the one thing I'll notice there's the character who's like her partner, who's the, um, I guess more quote unquote human character. Bateau. The Bateau. Bateau. No, not Bateau. Not the guy with the glasses, the other guy with the mullet. Oh, oh crap. What's his name? T- Tagusa. Tagusa, yeah. 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 Okay, so Tagusa, um, I, I like the character. He gets some things to do, but not enough. It feels like at a certain point, Bateau comes in, and Bateau is awesome, and just kind of takes the movie over. And obviously, the major is the protagonist, but I'm like, I don't really understand why we introduced that character in the first place, because there's th- interesting things you could do with him, because he is someone who is biologically more human. There's something there. So I will say a lot of the characters that are shown in this movie have a bigger role in standalone complex. Mm. Okay. So yeah. I, that's so what I've heard I can about understand, it. Yeah. yeah. So I can understand why you're all like, why is this guy here? Like, I don't understand why he's here. This and that and the third. He, the reason why he's, he, he's there is because he is part of uh, section nine. He's part of the team and everything like that. So they do need at least that one person who is human out of, you know, Bato and Matoko. So. Well, they, I, the one thing I like about um, the Tagusa characters, it does give us potentially the, one of the most interesting conversations in the entire film, which is right at the start when they're in the van going to the mission. Yes. And he uh, he asks the major why I'm on your team because I'm just a just a bog standard humanoid and you're all mm-hmm. a bunch of cybernetic warriors. And she goes, well, because you need to have... Uh, what, what's the line? I wrote it down. It's simple. Over-specialize and you breed in weakness. It's slow death. Like yeah. That's a mm. really interesting point because if you look at it in that sense, you need antagonism to push you forward to evolve, and that's what this film is about. It's about like the evolution and progressing to the next stage because at the end you get this synthesis of the AI and the major creating perhaps a new evolution in in mankind, and it it's not heavy handed. This is all subtext we're talking about here, but you pick it up 
Yeah, I think my thing was I, I really mm -hmm. loved that conversation, and I'm like, oh, like we could dive more into this. But at the same time, you're working within the confines of an 82 minute action driven film, so I understand why he's not a larger part. But I just kind of wanted more because what they'd given me up front was really interesting. Yeah, I I, I actually echo both of your points. If I was going to ask another one, is be asked another dislike is I just think it's I I completely get why it's 85 minutes ish. It works perfectly, but you don't get enough of everything. It feels like it could have done another 10 minutes and still been a very good film. Mm -hmm. um, but I think before we go to the knock list, let's just quickly, any final notes? Uh, Danny, do you have anything left? Any notes for us? Mm, nope, just watch the movie. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, okay, good. It is not, oh, I will say um, it is not available for streaming on any sort of uh, streaming site, anime streaming site at all. You will have to buy it somewhere. Just add Well, that's strange. It's available here. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's not available like on... Uh, Crunchyroll or like Hulu or anything like that. So I had to pay, yeah, yeah the four ninety nine for iTunes. I I had the DVD, so I right. didn't have to buy it. She she is the <laughs> or expert. Sail, or sail the high seas, you know. Yahar, <laughs> filthy D. Um, Cam, any notes for us? A couple things. We were just talking about this movie being very influential. When I was watching the scene of uh, the major diving off the roof, I'm like. I feel like this is in almost every superhero movie of the 2000s <laughs> onwards. It just feels like little elements like that were picked up by that genre. Um, also, there was the moment where <laughs> you had the character with the fingers that could like break apart and type on a keyboard really uh, fast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I was wondering, Scott, is that what Jonathan Price would have liked in Tomorrow Never Dies? Delicious idea. Delicious. <laughs> Can you imagine the speed he would have typed at that point? It would have been it would have been not tomorrow's news today. It would be like three days news away today or something like that. He would be time traveling. That's right. And uh, no, I think the only other thing I just had noted was just a lot of use of green in its depictions of technology, which also feels very Matrixy. Yeah, the, the the Matrix is stamped all over this film. Well, no, this film is stamped all over the Matrix. Yeah, that's the correct way of saying it. What I like about something like The Matrix is, though, it did what Star Wars did originally, which was it had these things it was in love with. And, the you know, the creators said, hey, we love these types of properties. Let's merge them with our own ideas and create something original. Mm -hmm. I wish we had more of that because Star Wars did that, of course, with the Kurosawa films. And obviously the Wachowskis did that with The Matrix here. I wish we would do more of that versus, you know, remakes and stuff like that. Like, I think it's just it creates more interesting work. One of the reasons we chose to do this film now is because we're going to tackle the Matrix films at some point because they do have a lot of, you know, nice. sort of the spy elements in, entangled into it. And I think this is a really good primer. Uh, not just, for, I imagine most people listening to this have seen at least the first Matrix film, but I think this really informs a lot of the Matrix. So I think you really should, if you're a Matrix fan, you should definitely check out this film. Um, and if you're a Matrix fan, you should also watch the Animatrix. It's great. I love the Animatrix. Mm -hmm. Got it on Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I have one question for everyone before we wrap up. Yeah. Okay, so we're all ghosts. We get to pick our shell. You can be anything you want. What do you want to be? A talking dog. Oh, a talking dog. <laughs> okay, because so, you can have all sorts of cybernetic implants and everything now. You can have yeah. super fast fingers. You just you, you want 
you want to be a normal dog that can talk. Yes. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. No. And that that can form into a human. Okay, so you're a transformer now. Sure. Oh, you're yes. An an, you're an animal. <laughs> Sorry, I think that's where yes. the right one. Okay. I, I thought you were gonna go down like the sort of airbud angle and be like, I want to be really good at basketball. Uh, no. <laughs> Golden Retriever. <laughs> yeah. Receiver. Golden Receiver. Golden That's receiver. a sequel, isn't it? Yeah, there was world-class pop. There was all sorts of... Oh, uh, yeah. no. Uh, what about you, Cam? What do you want to be? Well, I think I want to be like the ultimate heartthrob. And if the spy genre has taught me anything, that's Jonathan Price, who I mentioned earlier. E- <laughs> but but from Jumpin' Jack Flash, not from uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Yes, of course. I want... Like the red vest, yeah. the uh, 80s mullet, 80s mullet. Price. Absolutely. I also want to be able to eat whatever I want and not get fat. They have that. That's mm. a thing they have. So, <laughs> yeah, that's. I'll, I'll take that too. <laughs> well, in the movie, they reference alcohol, that they can drink alcohol and yeah. basically shake mm-hmm. it off immediately. So maybe that would be the case with food mm. as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I, it's one of those things where I've, I've asked a fun question, but I can't think of my own answer. So I'm, I'm trying to like process it now. What would I want to be? Do you know, I'm really happy with me, so I'm going to be me. Oh, no, that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Um, I'd love to be able to fly. I don't want to be an animal, though, but I would like to have like a humanoid body. That, oh, I want to be super-duper fit, but not have to do any exercise. So I want to be like super-duper strong and like shredded all year round. Well, I think that goes into like eating whatever you want and not getting fat. Yeah. Okay. I want, yeah. I want that skill as a human, but I want to be able to fly as well. Okay. Okay. Fair. So well, you want to be Neo? Yes. <laughs> yes, I want to be Neo. Well, uh, to be fair, you get to be an animorph, so I'm going to be an animorph too. I'm going to animorph okay. into a condor. I'm going to be a condor. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. Okay. Cam knows what I'm referencing. <laughs> I do. <laughs> the eagle has landed. Um, well, I think it's knockless time, folks. Now, Cam, we have a guest. Danny is here. Please explain what the knocklist is and what we do here. Yes, the knocklist is our tortured acronym for need to see official classics of the Spy Hearts podcast, where every week after we've talked about a movie, we vote as to whether it belongs in kind of the uh, the all-timers list. Like we're trying to compile a list of the all-time great spy films you could give someone and say, here you go, watch these. They're going to teach you about the genre and you're going to really enjoy the experience. So we've got stuff like, you know, Goldfinger's on there, North by Northwest, um, Born Supremacy. Spy Kids. Uh, the first Spy Kids. Um, so we're looking at making it a very diverse list. One to look at the genre from all angles, not just the classic, you know, Bond or more serious Tinker Tailor kind of spy film. Yeah. So guests always get the first vote. Danny, yes or no? Is Ghost in the Shell going on the list of the best spy movies of all time? Yes. Okay. Only because it's a staple in the anime industry. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it also inspired numerous of movie Hollywood movies. So it's definitely a staple and an iconic movie. And it changed the life of sci-fi. Yeah. Drastically. Mm-hmm. Okay. If there's no, there's no doubt this film's credentials when it comes to influencing cinema, television, all these sorts of things going forward. So that, yeah, very fair point. So that's one yes. It's all to play for. Cam, what about you? Uh, it's a yes for me as well. I think just like, I am a huge fan of visionary spectacle mm-hmm. on film and that's something this movie delivers. And, you know, as 
obviously it's made in 1995. It holds up beautifully. And also like as someone who doesn't have this wide breadth of knowledge with anime, it's one where I can at least look at it historically and say, this movie is very important in informing a lot of the entertainment that I love. And so I always take, you know, historical context. That's not an automatic in on the knock list, but in a case where a movie is fantastically entertaining, plus has that going for it in its favor, to me, it's a yes. Okay. Uh, this is that magic moment where there's two yeses. And so my vote means absolutely <laughs> nothing. So I'm going to go away with what I think my original answer would have been. I'm going to go with no. I think I would have gone with yes if it was more of an incontention. I wanted it to make the knock list, but I wanted to put a little asterisk next to it that in the sense of it perhaps isn't spy enough for me. I disagree. I think when you have this AI that's been created to be basically an enemy spy and take part, like they even mentioned spycraft mm. and these majors are having to go in and they very much separate what the major and her team are doing versus like the police who are these faceless beings. Like they are very much a secret agent organization going on these missions. So I think it's pretty spy. It's just not underlining it. It's underlining more of the sci-fi concepts. Well, I just think back to like when we did Men in Black really early on. And that first one was, we both were big fans, but I think what knocked it back off of the knock list was it just wasn't very spy enough. And I just think I would put this in that same sort of category. Whereas it's elements, but it's not like, there's no secret agent. You know what I mean? They don't really identify. Like, Matoko, well, yeah, Matoko doesn't, I like, she doesn't say, hey, I'm a spy. Mm. Like, they don't really. <laughs> what spy would, though? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they don't really say they're, like, from, you know, um, they're, 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 they don't identify themselves as like CIA or the FBI or anything like that. Like they're not, they're just section nine and that's all you know. And when you hear section nine, you just think, oh, that's, that has to be a special um, agent thing that happens in this world kind of thing. So, um, but I can understand where you're coming from. And I will say, uh, this movie is definitely more on the sci-fi versus like, uh, you know, spy, quote unquote, you mm -hmm. would categorize it as so. Yeah, I, I wanted it to make the knock list. I just think I needed to put that tiny little asterisk next to it to be like, there's like mm -hmm. an element that if people are going to read the knock list, they'll see this and be like, huh? Like, right. trust yeah. us, it's yeah. a good one, but you'll yeah. have to think about it. And that's yeah. all I'm trying to say with that one. Yeah. That's fair. I I I will see I see your point. So Cam um, Cam's usually up to argue with me a bit more, so have you got anything yeah. else for me? No, I mean I, I do agree. It doesn't foreground the spy elements the way that something like I don't know, maybe Golgo thirteen would or something. Okay. Well, there we go, folks. Two yeses, one no. Ghost in the Shell, nineteen ninety five is making the knock list. Congratulations. The dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Danny, I have a question for you. I may have an answer. Uh, it's a good start. <laughs> it's a good, good reply. <laughs> That's what makes you a good podcaster. Quick <laughs> <laughs> off the mark. I like that. So Ghost in the Shell made it. Could you recommend our listeners and us, because we're probably going to write these down, 
a couple of other spy anime films. Okay. Um, so when you originally asked me to look this up before we started recording, and I did a little deep dive, and frankly, there really aren't any anime films that are kind of spy related, huh. at least not not to what I would consider a spy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do well, one I do I do have to say I have three recommendations. And one of them is actually a movie and we actually talked about it earlier and it's uh Jinro the Wolf Brigade. Um so I would say that would be the closest next to Ghost in the Shell that is sort of like that cop special agent forces uh spy movie um which our our friend uh Mamoru Oshii wrote that manga because the the original source for that movie is a manga and that manga is called um Hellhounds Panzer Cops so great name and yeah right (laughs) (laughs) so um I totally recommend watching that film um, absolutely. And even if you if you go on um, Annie List, which is that is kind of the source on where I keep track of all the shows and movies in, that are anime that I try and keep up because there's a lot that like I can't not have a list where I've I, I need to keep track on what I watch. Oh, we love lists yeah. here. Don't worry. Yeah. All good. So um, but you can watch uh Jinro on Crunchyroll um Tubi TV Retro Crush uh you can also watch it on Amazon um so it's easily uh found and um and the two shows that I have is um one is Moriarty the Patriot um which that recently aired that actually aired uh in fall of 2020 and that's also based off of a manga and it pretty much doyles down and it's based off of uh arthur conan doyle's sherlock holmes Mm -hmm. but instead of it focusing on sherlock holmes it focuses on uh professor moriarty and it portrays his younger days and how he and his brothers uh, rid the world of uh, corrupted nobles. It's fairly interesting. Hmm. Um, I Again, I wouldn't really call it spy, but it's in that like detective cop kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So um, that you can, you can watch on Funimation, Crunchyroll, and Netflix, depending on the region and uh, your country and stuff. And then lastly uh, is Spy X Family. Now, this is actually about spies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is currently airing. Uh, It is based on a manga by Tatsuya Endo, which is still ongoing, and it's it's serializing in Shonen Jump Plus. Uh, The main protag is the top spy, codenamed Twilight, receives a mission which requires him to go form a temporary family undercover. Uh, Agent Twilight, now he goes goes by the name Lloyd Forger, uh, goes to an adoption center, finding Anya, who absolutely steals the show, by the way. Like, she is the most adorable little girl you will ever see. Um, who 
is telepathic. And then the mother figure, uh, her name is Yor. And when you first meet her, she seems a little she seems a little normal, a little ditzy. But in reality, she's actually one of the top assassins ever. So it's okay. pretty interesting. Um, Definitely a different spin on the whole thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's... Um, it's actually right now it's one of the top most talked about uh anime of the season right now um everyone is talking about it it has a nice uh retro uh, 60s retro feeling to it uh the music is great visual wise like cinematography and stuff um (laughs) beautiful like it has that like eastern uh new england kind of feel to it and everything the characters are great like the chemistry for uh, all the all of the characters are amazing especially when it comes to anya um so and i'm really excited to watch the rest of it so and you can watch that on uh crunchyroll hulu uh netflix again depending on your region i'm assuming it's mostly available in japan uh, netflix japan and it's also available on disney plus but i don't know if that's actually true um i didn't really confirm that but um crunchyroll and hulu for sure you'll be able to stream it yeah, definitely a, a smorgasbord there to check out. We'll uh, we'll put notes down in the show notes there for those three. So you can go check out if you want some more anime. We will. I might take, check out that film actually. See if we can work that into our list to cover down the road. If it, if it seems close enough, I'll take a look at it. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, even if it's not, it's it's a it's a great it's it's really enjoyable. Okay. So well, the next thing I have to say, Danny, is I want to thank you for taking the time out to to speak to us today and, and thank you to the anime summit listeners who've come over to have a listen as well yeah um you know could for the listeners of this show can you just tell us a little bit more about the anime summit and what you're doing over there yeah uh anime summit i mean we strictly talk about anime obviously um we do a lot of uh not just reviews but we also do some like tier lists we also have um summit smackdown so what we do in those um bits is we take a category and we just take characters from that genre or that that type of theme that we're doing for that um smackdown and we ask other guests to come on and we kind of just talk about like which character is better and we just kind of eliminate um a 16 um bracket and see who's the winner of that um smackdown so and we're about to have another one which i'm super excited for well, um, so. where can people where can people find you online? Like, uh, is, are you on most major podcast platforms? Um, yeah. So, Anime Summit is on um, uh, what is it? Apple i uh, Apple Music, or I keep calling it iTunes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty much you can find us on any sort of uh podcast listening platform, Spotify. Uh, Google Podcasts, um, Podcast Addicts, anywhere that you can find it. We also upload our episodes on YouTube as well. So, and we also have extra content on YouTube um, sometimes, although we're not too active on that, um, but I'm hoping to change that 
being with my new setup that I have, I'm hoping to do more streams uh, for like video games and all that kind of stuff. So, and we, are, we have a Patreon, so you can always join us there. We have exclusive content on there. And um, we may, and we also have uh, Twitter and Instagram and, but we mainly uh, uh, thrive on Discord. So if you ever wanna join the Discord, you can do that. And our link is links.animesummit.net. And that's where all, all the social links and even like where you can find our podcasts are. Perfect. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes below as well. So yes. click on that. Yes. People, if you want to hear more, but Danny, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate doing this. This is always fun uh, going on to other podcasts that aren't anime. So this is actually a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. Your, so. uh, your tuxedo and martini glass are in the post. Oh, thank you. Okay, cool. <laughs> I want an onion, not an olive, though. Oh, we're done oh. here. We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love the olives. <laughs> Good. Okay, we're back on. We're back on firm ground here. Whew. I was going to delete this whole episode. <laughs> okay. Oh no! <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Ghost in the Shell from 1995 made Noctis. If you want to find out more about the Noctis, go to letterbox.com/spyhards. You can find out the films that made it and the films that didn't. But Cam, what are we talking about next week? We are tackling the 1934 spy thriller, British Agent, directed by Michael Curtiz and starring Leslie Howard. Oh, finally, my biopic. I'm glad we get round to this. That's right. That's right. And this movie, it is 1934. It is available pretty much anywhere you want it. You can stream it on, you know, Apple movies and Amazon Prime and all that sort of stuff. As well, if you search it on YouTube, it is there. Oh, the full version's on there? It is, yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, there you go. Easy one for you folks. I'll even post a link online when we announce the film. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out British Agent and join us next week. Now, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or anything of the like. It really just helps get the show out there and shares the spy-hard love. And speaking of, do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, remember, there's nothing sadder than a puppet without a ghost. Do you love spy books, movies, and TV? Then the Spybrary podcast is for you. Since 2017, host Shane Whaley and Spybrary field agents around the world dispatch reviews and interviews with authors, historians, and fellow spy fans. We discuss everything from John le Carre, Len Dayton, Paul Vidich, Graham Greene, Mick Heron, Charles Cumming, Ben McIntyre, and many more. Spybrary is available on all good podcast apps and at spybrary.com. 